Welcome to Dead Pilot Society. I'm Andrew Reich, and man, I am still buzzing from our live show at Largo this past Friday. We did two musical pilots with a full band, and it was just a blast. Uh, I'm not sure when the next live show will be, but you really should try and come to one of these. The best way to stay informed is to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Pilots Pod and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. Our pilot this time comes from Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Uh, John Daly, you probably know as an actor from Freaks and Geeks. Uh, and as the team, Jonathan and John wrote and directed the Vacation re- Reboot and also wrote the story and co-wrote the screenplay for the new Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. Their pilot is called Punching Out, and it's about three guys who try to relive their youth by going back to the mall jobs of their glory years. Tom Lennon, Kyle Bornheimer, and Cedric Yarbrough play the leads, and I feel like they're exactly who you would have wanted to play these parts in the network version of the show. My co-host Ben Blacker interviewed Jonathan and John, and in that interview they hit on one of the recurring themes of Dead Pilot Society, which is network executives thinking that characters and comedies seem like losers. There's also some really good nitty-gritty info about pitching and handling notes in there. They do use a term that might need some explanation. They say that they pitched the show to all four major broadcast networks and that they sold it everywhere, which I know kind of makes no sense. But that, what that means is just that every network made an offer to buy it. And that's kind of the dream when you're pitching, that you'll sell it to every network in the room, meaning that after each time you pitch, the executives will say, great, we want to do this. Uh, and then the writer and the studio, but mostly the studio, make the decision about which network to sell it to. This has partly to do with where they think the show has the best chance of getting on the air, but more to do with which network makes the studio the best offer. Uh, And the good thing about those situations is that when your pilot doesn't get picked up, you can indulge in all kinds of unconstructive second-guessing about whether you should have sold it to a different network. Anyway, without further ado, here is Punching Out. Enjoy. A lot of times my instincts are are wrong. They're mostly wrong, but they're not wrong in the sense that like I misread somebody. They're just extremely limited to my, you know, to my idea of who they are. That was Mark Marin. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm the host of NPR's Bullseye. I'm so excited to tell you about my new show, The Turnaround. Join me as I sit down with some of the best interviewers in the world to ask them about how and why they do what they do. We'll go deep. Some of the biggest names in media, everybody from Terry Gross to Jerry Springer to Combat Jack. That's all on The Turnaround, two episodes a week this summer. Subscribe now, tell a friend. We're talking about punching out. You guys were kind enough to let us read this uh, script. You were kind enough to present it. It was really fun. Thank you. Let me ask you guys, this was some months ago now, but how was it hearing it... How was it hearing it aloud? Was that the first time you had heard it read aloud? It yeah. was, yeah. I mean, generally when we're writing stuff, we, we read it aloud ourselves. Mm-hmm. But not with but funny with, actors yeah. like those guys. Um, well, are you saying I'm not a funny actor? Because, mm. you know, it's You're funny writer. my other job. <laughs> but, uh, well, um, no, yeah, it was, no, it was really it was really cool. It was it was awesome to see it on its feet, I'm as sure. they say. Even though they were sitting. It, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like... 
when you write stuff, you kind of have a feeling that it's funny. You hope that it's funny, but until you actually hear actors doing it, you're not sure. And people That's laughing true. at it in the room. And so yeah. it was really satisfying to see. And we also remembered the network notes that we got and cringed at those moments. Oh, that's Yeah, because they're awesome. so obvious when you hear them read. You're like, that doesn't sound like something Oh, I want to hear about it. Oh, wait, oh, wait, that's right. We didn't write that, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. That doesn't come from we, us. We're, we're trying to get across the character's want in mm-hmm. that moment and need. There's yeah. a whole thing about needing and wanting for characters <laughs> that studios <laughs> want to hear. So, And they want to hear it explicitly. Explicit so that it, it is so obvious. That, yeah. that they've basically learned all their lessons before the end of the pilot. Look, we love, we love network television. They've been very good to us over the years. And we don't want to take anything away. But, but in the writing, that does seem to be a distinction that cable will let the audience mm-hmm. discover things. Networks tend to not trust the audience to discover things. And Absolutely. so they want it all spelled out there. And yeah. so it's a little bit galling when you're, trying to, when you're trying to be subtle at all. And I think ultimately... I mean, you guys have had more experience on in network half hours than I have, but ultimately that can be what sinks the thing. Is Absolutely. It gets worked and worked and nobody cares anymore. They become their own worst enemy, and it seems like the, the shows that do the best, generally, are the ones that have a singular voice mm-hmm. um, that, the, that the creator uh, has to impart. So it's a lesson to studios and networks. I don't think it, it, it will ever be heard or learned. But So how do we as writers contend with that? I mean, it's a challenge. It's just figuring out how to give them what they want without it seeming too clunky. Mm-hmm. And often you can do it in a way that it's actually cuttable. And so you, you, know, you, you make it its own thing and yeah. then hopefully you don't need it once you cut the thing together. Um, yeah, really all the characters have to be standing completely still <laughs> right. when they say that line, so there are no isolate continuity them. errors. <laughs> exactly, that's right. Um, that's really true, though. I mean, you can sort of isolate that moment, so it's in the script. It mm-hmm. gets you through that stage, yeah. and hopefully it can come And look, you know, no, sometimes they're right. Sometimes things are not clear. We know, because we've spent so much time thinking about it, the truth is when you present it to an audience for the first time with no, back, no background – they're wondering, wait, why is he doing this? What's his mm-hmm. What's his deal? And so uh, sometimes they, they do need a little more than we think they do. Oh, for sure. I mean, so. they, the network is your first viewer as well. Right. Um, let's let's kind of go back and talk specifically about Punching Out. What was the beginning of this script? Where did it come from? It um, was an idea we had for a movie, actually. And, and uh, it A didn't... lot of our stuff starts as movies. <laughs> and if we true. decide it's not going to make it true. as a movie, we try and sell it as a it drip, TV show. It drips into um, television well, what, land. Well, what is yeah. that difference? I mean, how... At what point do you decide something's not going to make it as a movie, and why not? Um, when nobody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Well, we, we never wrote that as a. That, we wrote we? it as a spec, and I don't think oh, we went yeah. out with it. I think we we read it and we were like, "This isn't quite there." <laughs> but it works. It works as a show because you have these characters that that that. Uh, Interact well with each other, and and the when chemistry is there, and there's wish fulfillment in 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 the way that most people want to. A lot of people want to quit their jobs, yeah. and go and do something that they imagine to be simpler and more fun. In a way, the story was a little more convoluted than the actual character arcs, and so it, sure. it almost served better as a as a show where you can constantly explore. You know, I more do about remember. The I do remember that. What sunk the show, and I won't say any names, but someone at the studio who was in a decision-making capacity said, these guys seem like losers. And it was a very uh, telling thing because it was like, well, 
I guess that's a way to look at it if you're a billionaire. Um, but <laughs> you're but really narrowing us, down. The... <laughs> we don't know, what's, we don't know what network three this billionaires. was. Um, <laughs> Everyone's but, a billionaire to Jonathan. But, sure. Um, so, so that's that was really, really kind of revealing of yeah. like, it, and it was informative of like what they're looking for, what they think the audience wants on their airwaves. And obviously, we protested to our agents when we heard about this on the phone. Uh, what about you know two broke girls mm-hmm. or all these shows where it's about them being losers? Uh, but I guess uh, maybe they're younger. I guess if okay. they're grown men working <laughs> yeah. at a mall, they really are losers. So. Yeah. Um, and some of it came, some of the inspiration came from, um, I worked in, I think we even named it after the mall I worked in in Ohio oh when God. I was a teenager. I worked at a cookie store like the character Kenny. Um, Amazing. And then I, I didn't. I didn't work at an Abercrombie or anything, but um, <laughs> I had a couple jobs you know in that, that mall. You know, <laughs> you know that, that world. world. Yeah. That's really funny. Um, what was the pitch process like for this? Um, it was pretty easy. I mean, it, it, we typical. sell it to everybody. We sold, it to, we, we sold, sold it, it to we sold it to everyone. Oh, it was it was a it's such a flurry of activity when you're when you're pitching and yeah. and especially if you're pitching to all the studios on the same day, which I think we may have done or three on one day and yeah. then one on the other. Which is it's such a draining. Good way to do it's it. so draining, and it it's is. good to get it done and yeah. know where you stand. But like. Just getting the energy up to like, and here it is for the first time again. <laughs> but in a way, driving an hour in traffic. <laughs> exactly. But after the third one, the third or fourth, you really get into the rhythm of it. You've, <laughs> totally. you, you've had three rehearsals, uh, and it's a fun experience, you know. Especially when they when they buy it in the room, because it feels it's like the closest thing to old Hollywood. I think that still exists. Totally. People just making having the power to buy something in the room is something that's so rare now. You know, you've got your Harvey Weinstein to always, do it, and, and then. The, the game of it is is that they almost never say, okay, we'll take it. They say it in some cryptic way, and you walk out not sure, and you turn to your executives, your producers, and you're like, Did we, was that a sale? You know, they'll like, be like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. Remember, I remember at one, they're like, we'd love to do it. And it's the conditional tense. It's like, was that a yes? Right. Like, if, I'm never quite what? sure. Yeah, right. But that was a yes, and just for that sort of thing. I Sometimes remember. they say we'll take it. Sometimes they say. It's fun. Yeah. Right. Fun to hear. Um and was this this was all based on the pitch? You didn't write the script first, even though you had the feature. Just no, yeah. I mean, we yeah, we took right. bits and pieces from right. the from the spec, but it was generally all rewritten. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long was your like? What did your pitch look like? How long was it? Did you kind of go down the characters? And I mean, it's not it's not we have a, a hard kind premise. Of format. Yeah. yeah, it's I mean, not we, five pages, something like that. Mm-hmm. We try to keep generally it down that. to no more than fifteen minutes, I'd say, because they start to tune out. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, generally, they know if they want it within the first minute that you're there. Uh, a lot of the times, they know they want it before you even start pitching because they were briefed on what the premise is right. by the producers. So it's uh, it's always a pretty friendly room until it isn't. And I've heard I've heard stories of of just people not getting it and then sitting there in silence and saying thank you after a minute. Oh God, that's horrible. Why would they do that? Guys, it's just, just be friendly. Continue I know. To be friendly. It's you can terrible. Take it. I'll tell you the the thing you we try to do we can't always do it, but they love to hear it at, at, when you're pitching anything. I think is that it comes from your personal experience in some way, and so we bend over backwards with some of these pitches that have nothing to do with our life to make it personal and then there's this there's always this weird leap from like okay there's that part of our life now here's the pitch really right right it's it's all about the segue 
<laughs> Absolutely. That was the jumping off point for. Yeah. Um, but this, I mean, at least had a tie to your personal life. You it could did, say, I yeah. experienced this. Well, and, and also, also I, I used to be a lawyer, and then I quit that to become a writer. Mm-hmm. So I, I changed careers in my late 20s. And, and for me, I, sh- I shopped at malls, you know, all my life. So it really <laughs> John's has, a billionaire, but it's really long. close to me, too. Everyone's a billionaire, too. Let's <laughs> <laughs> continue to understand that. Have you made a billion dollars on this on this blog? Oh, yeah, this yeah. is a billion-dollar podcast. <laughs> Also, watch my new reality show, Billion Dollar Podcast. Will do. It's me and, and Damian, Hardwick. Damian Lewis. <laughs> yes. Does Clint Eastwood have to cut the cord at the end of it? Sadly, yes. <laughs> That's okay. Is that what, how that ends? You guys, spoiler. I'm sorry. I'm Don't sorry. see the outlaw Joe's Um So the, let's talk very briefly about the development process. You mentioned you know, what ultimately sunk it was one person kind of couldn't get behind it. Yeah. Um, thinking these guys are losers. Um, but... Were you? What was the notes process like? What was the draft process like? You know, it was it was not terrible. It, it's uh, it's different from from movies. I mean, for me, it was the first show that we had ever sold, wasn't it? I think it was the first one we did together. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, so I was new to that process, yeah. and I was shocked by how quickly everything happens. I mean, even if you yeah. even if you don't. Uh, apply all the the, the note or uh, all the changes to the notes that they give. It's generally enough that they that they feel like okay, it's it's on it's on the right track. Before I hold it up with another round of notes, let's go on. Let's move to the network mm-hmm. and see what they have to say about it. So there's a there's a pace to it which I love, especially after you know forty thousand dollar man, which is the first spec we sold, is now back uh, potentially alive ten and years, that's 10 years that's later. like nearly 10 that's years crazy. later so it's it's uh it's it's refreshing <laughs> so sure. to say the anything. least keep it all yeah i mean know. especially in features yeah. for sure i mean that yeah. just stuff just goes on and on yeah. um and uh we know how it ended <laughs> uh <laughs> it's not over yet i think once people hear it it's gonna. This is, <laughs> listen, home, right? this is the hope right mm-hmm. is that people hear these orphans yeah. crying out <laughs> Um, but it is a really good script. I think you guys did a good job. There's a lot of funny in it. And also, you guys had this terrific cast, which we should mention. Uh, your three leads were Kyle Bornheimer as Kenny, uh, Cedric Yarborough as Hank, and Tom Lennon as Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, were they, you know, sometimes we write with people in mind. I right. can't imagine you had any of these guys in your mind. Right. But, you know, tell tell me about hearing. Well, we did come out. Them we came out of there kind the of wanting to cast them all. Yeah, <laughs> they were all so. I mean, that's so it's funny. that's the testament to prose too. When you you don't even know how funny something can be until you hear someone really talented saying they were it. Cold reading it, right? Like they hadn't. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. yeah, they may have skimmed through yeah. it, yeah. but but to have that instinct and know like where the the line, where the laugh is, and yeah. all that. So. Impressive. It was great. I mean, they they are they have become our dream cast for sure. And I think <laughs> awesome. Tom Lennon. We always imagine because we. It's funny. We were imagining all movie actors generally, mm-hmm. like Steve Carell in, in the Tom Lennon role, mm-hmm. and Ed, just to Ed, just Ed to Helms. yeah, or Ed Helms, just to simplify, you know, uh, for us what the voices are of That's the characters. Right. Um, but he, but Lennon is is probably the best fit for that role. That's really. There funny. was also who was the, there was another guy. Um, oh my God, uh, Craig really Kakowski. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say. Yeah. So yeah, we had Craig Kakowski. He's so good. Too. I had not seen anything oh, really? he's done before, so that was I was shocked at how 
funny and talented he yeah, was. He's on, he's sort of a, a legend on the improv scene. He's been around for years in Chicago and then here teaching and performing. And uh, he worked with me on Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, for nice. A decade. Uh, and he's just the secret weapon. Yeah. He can make anything he's funny. so good. As, I mean, Janet Varney, Ben Schwartz, oh. Robert Ben Garant, uh, Alessandro Torsani, Carlos Alzraki. Uh, Anna Ortiz, like, this was a killer cast, yeah. which you would never get on TV, right. which is kind of great. I know. It, it made it all the more painful that it was a dead pilot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. Let's talk uh, just for a second about what you guys have going on now, what's next for you. We're not sure when this will come out, but you guys always have many irons and fires. We try to. We try to keep them hot. Um, we just uh, turned in our second draft of Spider-Man to uh, the movie, not a TV show, to, uh, to Marvel. And um, they're starting shooting in June, and that's due to come out in July of next year. Crazy. Um, and that's been a blast and a totally different experience trying to come up with new and different ways that Spider-Man could fight that he hasn't fought before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just giving him a, a unique voice that's different from the voice that you've heard Peter mm-hmm. Parker have in the in the past five movies. So just really the challenge was making everything as different uh, – and yet true to the characters sure. we can Recognizably possibly make. Spider-Man. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, a at Marvel, they, they, they set out with a great... The, the mandate was to make a John Hughes movie in mm-hmm. some ways, and so it really does live in high school, and it's a real group of kids nice. and with kid problems, and it's not just like, you know, 25-year-old Tobey Maguire pretending to be 17. <laughs> like, um, That's cool. I mean, you guys are the right guys to write that, too. I mean, it feels very much We just came off of a John Hughes franchise, sort of, so with Vacation, yeah. so we kind of, like, had that. We had that mess. voice in mind. And Peter Parker is a nerdy, losery kid, in a way, or John perceived totally as a that. loser. <laughs> Jonathan I, I, I was... had none of that experience. Jonathan was an Abercrombie model well, back then, before, before that accident. <laughs> <laughs> before the disfigured uh-huh. accident. Where he got burned. My body, not my face. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and do you guys have TV things going on? Uh, we did. We got another dead pilot. We for have you. a pilot. No, we um, we had one um, that did not go. That we mm-hmm. were gonna uh, or would have directed. We're being told it's it's potentially could be sold to another network, but I think say they that say that in every happened. situation. <laughs> no. uh, but it was one that we were really happy with too, and it was another sort of. Uh, Angsty middle age ensemble. ensemble. That's fun. all we do. I don't know. It's really fun. That's me. I mean, look, you surround yourselves with each other and other funny friends. You're going to yeah. draw on that. Yeah. Um, you guys, we're going to read that one out loud. All right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we'll have you back Forward next season. Awesome. Um, thank you for being here. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for yeah. letting us read uh, Punching Out. Thank thanks you. Thanks for doing it. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm Danielle Radford. I am Michael Eagle. And we are the hosts of Tights and Fights, Maximum Fun's newest podcast dedicated to all things wrestling. We'll be talking about Sasha Banks, the women's revolution, Sasha Banks, the brand split, and Sasha Banks' wigs. And we'll also be talking about wrestler fashion. Some wrestlers wear too many clothes. Some wrestlers don't wear enough clothes at all. And I'll be doing impressions of all your favorite wrestlers. New episodes Thursdays on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah, dig it. Tyson Fights Podcast. Tyson Fights. Act one, fade in. Exterior Beachwood Place Mall, day 1993. A Saturn S-Series pulls into a spot near the entrance to a large, moderately upscale mall in suburban Cleveland. Chiron, 1993, the music plays Straight Outta Compton by N.W.A. 
In slow motion, three 16-year-olds, Kenny, Hank, and Bob, emerge from the car and head to the mall. Kenny, lanky and good-natured, wears a Mrs. Fields cookie store uniform. Hank, confident, wears a sports chalet one. And Bob, more introverted, wears a boxy three-piece suit. Each has on a name tag. We begin a montage at the mall. A quick series of shots as the guys strut through the mall like they own the place. They nod and fire finger guns at fellow employees. They seem to know everyone and everyone knows them. A group of elderly mall walkers part to let them through. One old lady looks at them suspiciously. Kenny gives her a big fake smile. At the sports chalet, Hank flirts with a cute girl customer as he sinks a basketball from across the store. At Mrs. Fields Cookies, Kenny's having a massive food fight with his coworker. Just then, their 20-something boss arrives and sees the mess. They look nervous until he grabs a wad of cookie dough and pelts Kenny with it. The fight resumes. At Nazarian's big and large shop, Bob puts the final pins in the pants leg of a suit. He steps back and gives an enthusiastic thumbs up to the customer wearing it, who we reveal is well over 400 pounds. The customer hands Bob a $10 tip. Bob looks psyched. At Sports Chalet, the cute girl we saw earlier leads Hank into one of the store's changing rooms. At the food court, our guys share a table as a girl delivers a tray of three Orange Julius drinks. They look to see they've been sent over by two grinning girls who work at the Orange Julius. <laughs> at the movie theater, the guys head in to see Jurassic Park. Kenny slips the teenage ticket seller a bag of cookies and gets three tickets in return. We freeze on the handoff, a la Goodfellas, as if it's a drug deal. We end the montage. We're exterior campsite. Kenny, Hank, and Bob sit around a campfire, drinking from bottles wrapped in paper bags. <laughs> Man, I love camping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should go camping sometime. A wide shot reveals the campfire is on the roof of the mall. It doesn't get any better than this. What? Shut up, Bob. Yeah, Bob. <laughs> Shut up. Why, why are we shutting him up? Because it will get better than this. Yes, our lives are awesome now. <laughs> but imagine how much better it'll be when we're adults and we have total freedom. Hank raises his bottle. The freedom. Freedom. Freedom! <laughs> As they clink bottles, we tilt up to the night sky, which is full of brilliant stars, which suddenly start moving toward us at great speed, and we match cut to interior cubicorp day in the present day. We pull back to see the stars that become the star's screensaver on a computer monitor. Beside it sits a Crystal Cube Award recognizing Kenny Gant as the 2011 recipient. Look, Rick, I'm talking about freedom here. We reveal Kenny, now early to mid-30s, still good-looking. He sits in a cramped cubicle on the sales floor at Cubicorp, a company that sells cubicles. Hi, Ron. Today. The freedom to choose the height, width, and color of our employees' cubicles. Our new Omnicubes come in six different colors, ranging from dark gray to light gray, and everything in between. Kenny glances up at a fluorescent light that flickers annoyingly overhead. I'm sitting in one right now. And I can't tell you how good I feel about my life. <laughs> a wide shot to see his cubicle is one of dozens and dozens that recede into the distance. Kenny's phone beeps. Rick, hold on a sec. I got another call coming in. Cubicorp, Kenny Gant speaking. Yes, I'm that guy you've been seeing on TLC with the enormous scrotum. <laughs> you have a cubicle that would fit me? <laughs> Hank, I'm on with a client. <laughs> we intercut with interior prison. Hank, early to mid-thirties, full of charisma, wears a prison guard uniform. He walks down a row of prison cells as he talks on his phone. I don't know who you think Hank is, but my enormous scrotum doesn't like your tone. I'm hanging up. Wait, 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 wait. Are, are we on for tonight? I'll try. I've been working all through dinner all week. Hank leans up against the bars of the cell. You're coming. Call Bob and remind him. Fine. 
Pretend to be the scrotum guy. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> a pair of heavily tattooed arms reach through the bars and grab Hank by the throat. Hank swats repeatedly at the arms with his baton, eventually freeing himself. Not cool, Ramirez! <laughs> Interior airplane. Bob, early to mid-30s, wearing a Spirit Airlines flight attendant uniform, stands at the boarding door as passengers deplane. He looks almost exactly like he did 20 years ago. Thank you for flying Spirit. Sorry about the bumps. A woozy passenger hands him a full air sickness bag. Thank you. Sorry about the bumps. His cell rings with his free hand he picks up. Hey, Kenny. Oh, hey, Bob. Just confirming tonight. Another passenger hands him an air sick bag. It's a third Friday. Wouldn't miss it. Sorry about the bumps. <laughs> he hangs up as an old lady heads off the plane. She hands Bob a scrap of paper. Here's my nephew's number. I really think you'll hit it off. As I said, ma'am, I'm not gay, but thank you. <laughs> Call him. He's handsome. Interior Kenny's cubicle continuous. As Kenny hangs up, he notices the woman in the next cubicle has climbed up on her desk to fix the flickering light. You need a hand, Janice? Why, Kenny? Because I'm a woman? You don't think I can't? Whoa! <laughs> she loses her balance and starts to fall. Kenny reaches up to steady her. There's a beat. She looks shocked. We reveal his hand has inadvertently ended up holding her crotch. Like prairie dogs, dozens of heads <laughs> pop up from neighboring cubicles to witness this. We're interior Jack Anderton's office. Kenny sits across from his boss, Jack Anderton. I'm sorry, Kenny, but we've got a zero-tolerance policy on sexual assault. <laughs> sexual assault? I, I saved her from falling. I didn't mean to grab her... her, her pubis. <laughs> I know you didn't, but if Janice files a suit and it comes out that we didn't act, it'll be Cubicorp on the hook. Come on, Jack. We didn't wor I've been working here for ten years. You've been to my house for the last three Thanksgivings. Yeah. It's going to be awkward this year. <laughs> I've given my life to this place. All I do is work. My last girlfriend dumped me because I accidentally called her Cubicorp in bed. I'm so stressed I have the blood pressure of someone twice my age. My doctor's making me wear this fucking stupid monitor. He holds up his wrist and shows a watch-like monitor with the number of 148 over 92 <laughs> and a frowny face. Do you know what happens if this number hits 160? You uh, turn into the Hulk? I die, Jack. <laughs> That's how much I've sacrificed for Cubicorp. For Christ's sakes, I won the Crystal Cube Award. I know you did, but then you touched a lady on the vagina. <laughs> if we let this go, it'll be open season on vaginas. <laughs> he opens his office door. Try not to uh, touch any on your way out. <laughs> not ready to laugh yet. I get it. <laughs> We're we're interior Red Lobster. Kenny, Hank, and Bob drown their sorrows in Bud Light and Cheddar Bay Biscuits. All three wear plastic bibs. I feel like I wasted half my life. Oh, well, your blood pressure probably more like two-thirds. <laughs> I wish I got fired. What? My job is the worst. They put me on the Fort Lauderdale route. It's nothing but old people. Last week I had to give a guy CPR. That's actually kind of cool, though. You saved someone's life. Who says I saved his life? <laughs> oh. The paramedic said all I was doing was breaking his dead ribs. <laughs> A ditzy 20-something waitress, Shauna, sets down steaming plates of shrimp and lobster. The guys are way too excited. Mm. <laughs> Nothing like a face full of shrimp steam. This is the highlight of my month. That's not sad, is it? <laughs> Excuse me, um, uh, Shauna? Yes? 
I'm pretty good at picking up people's vibes. And, uh, I'm getting a real smart vibe from you. Like, wise beyond her years kind of thing. Tell me if I'm off base here. Oh, thank you. I mean, yeah, I think I'm pretty smart. I'm not like a rocket surgeon or anything. Can you and Bob exchange a look? Yeah, but you're smart. <laughs> I knew it. I, I, I normally go for the hot, dumb girls because it's easy, let's be honest, but... I, I would love to see if I can hold my own with a nerd. <laughs> could I take you out for a drink this weekend? Pick that, that big old brain of yours? <laughs> sure. I'll put my number on the check. But I'm not a nerd. You gotta keep telling yourself that nerd. <laughs> she exits. You're gross. I know. <laughs> yeah, but it works. You, you call the plain ones hot, the dumb ones smart. It's not rocket surgery. <laughs> Don't you ever want anything more than just meaningless sex? Yeah, of course I do. You know, I, I, you know, I, I've never said I love you to anyone. Aww. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I've got a lot of love in my heart. But I'm literally in prison all day surrounded by people who want to murder me. <laughs> that changes a man, hardens him. This morning someone flung a cup of something at me. What was it? It was liquid. It had to be one, uh, one of three things. <laughs> None of them good. Tears. <laughs> Tears? No, oh, man. Tears would be fine. That's the worst liquid you <laughs> The three stare down at their lobsters. You notice all we do when we get together now is complain. Isn't that why we get together? <laughs> no, it wasn't always like this. Remember when we were kids at the mall? We felt so happy and excited about life. What if we peaked too early? I mean, was that the high point of our lives? 100%. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> no question about it. Well, that sucks. There's got to be a way to get back that feeling again. There's a beat as they ponder this. Sperm! <laughs> <laughs> What? what? What the prisoner threw at Hank? <laughs> oh. <laughs> off, off their looks for an interior Kenny's car the next morning. Kenny drives past Beachwood Place Mall. He glances over and sees the mall's sign. Beneath the name is its motto, everything you're looking for. It's almost like it's speaking to him. He makes a U-turn. At the mall, Kenny walks through the mall. From his perspective, the place is a haven of cool young employees laughing and goofing around at their jobs. It's the exact opposite of Cubicorp. He passes his old Mrs. Field's shop and stops when he sees a now-hiring manager sign on the counter. Their exterior prison exercise yard. Kenny, wearing a visitor badge, stands with Hank as various prisoners work out and stand around. So just like that? Just like that. I didn't even have to fill out an application because they still had my old one. <laughs> You're going to be happy selling cookies? Happier than selling cubicles. Listen, I'm not saying it's forever, but, but for now, there's no stress no work to take home, no climbing the fucking ladder. Except the ladder to get the marshmallows, because they keep those on the <laughs> top shelf. Hey, what about your career? My career was killing me. Do you remember how hard my dad worked? Every night he'd come home exhausted, and every year it seemed like there was a little less of him left. Like, a light was going out behind his eyes. And, and, and then it just did. He was 52. When I look in the mirror these days, I, I've started to see those same eyes. Yeah, you have been looking pretty crappy lately. I said it last night, man. I want to get that feeling back I had when I worked at the mall. What better way than to work at the mall? Hank takes this in. You come with me. 
You hate it here, and you love working at Sports Chalet. Oh, oh man, that, that's a big change. Just then, a cup of liquid hits Hank in the head. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Hank drops his utility belt and baton and heads off. Kenny hurries after him. We're interior Museum of Flags. Bob and his son Jake, 15, bored out of his mind, walk beside a wall hung with various antique flags. Whoa, check it out. American flag from 1915. Looks like the usual 50 stars, right? But count them. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't want to count them, Dad. Oh, come on, count them! Great, so are there less than 50? Oh, maybe. <laughs> Let's count and find out. One. Jake. Jake? We're exterior of the museum. Bob exits the museum to find Jake waiting by the car, texting on his phone. It was 48 stars, FYI. <laughs> That's fantastic. Can you unlock the car? Bob does, and Jake gets in. Before Bob can join him, Kenny and Hank approach. What are you guys doing here? All right. We're looking for you. We saw you checked in here on Facebook. Also, don't check in everywhere you go. Nobody cares. <laughs> you see your kid one day a week, and you take him here? It's fun. They've got hundreds of flags. <laughs> you know that what's more fun than hundreds of flags? Six flags. <laughs> All right. Listen, Bob. Hank and I left our jobs and we're going to work at the mall and we want you to come with us. What? Are you serious? Yeah, serious as a heart attack. Or that guy you let die. <laughs> I'm not going to quit my job. This is bigger than your job. It's about enjoying life again. What's more important than that? Come on, man. The three of us back in the mall? It'll be just like when we were kids. But I'm not a kid. I'm a grown man with an ex-wife and a son and a prostate. <laughs> <laughs> you always had a prostate, Bob. I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't do it. Bob gets into his car, leaving his disappointed friends. Interior Bob's car, evening. Bob drives Jake home. Yeah, okay, I'll meet you guys over there. I'm almost done with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> done with me? You make it sound like spending time with me is a chore. No, it's not a chore. It's, it's just kind of like, uh, super boring. <laughs> really? Was it boring last week when we went to the Apple Store and I said you could pick whatever you wanted? Stop calling it an Apple Store. It was an orchard, okay? And I'm not a toddler, so yes, apples are boring. But you got an amazing jar of pumpkin butter. Oh my God, listen to yourself. You're like a 40-year-old, 90-year-old. Do you remember at all what it was like to be my age? Before Bob can answer, Jake's phone rings and he picks up. The question hangs in the air. We're interior Kenny's bedroom the next morning. Kenny lies in bed. His alarm clock reads 6.30 as it goes off. Kenny reaches over, pulls the clock's plug out, and goes back to sleep. Interior Hank's bedroom later. Hank is dressing for work. Out of habit, he picks up his handgun and shoves it in his belt. Then remembers he doesn't need a gun anymore. He sets it down and starts to go. Then thinks better of it and puts a smaller gun. <laughs> Just in case. Exterior of the Beachwood Place Mall. Kenny and Hank exit their car and head toward the mall, ready for their first day of work. Just as they reach the door... Bob joins them wearing a business suit. Kenny and Hank smile, and the three strut into the mall together like they own the place again. End of Act One. Act Two, we're interior of the mall. Bob walks up to his old place of employment and stops in his tracks, confused. We reveal that the store has become an Abercrombie and Fitch. It's bustling with teens and 20-somethings, pop music blasts from speakers, and a shirtless, muscular male model stands out front posing. Bob approaches the model. Excuse me. What happened to Nazarian's big and large shop? You mean that tent store? 
Those were suits. Uh, they replaced it with an Abercrombie and Fitch. Yes. <laughs> I can see that. Can you tell me where I can find the manager? You found him. <laughs> but you're a naked man. <laughs> filling in for our usual floor model. What can I do for you? Um, well, I'd, li I'd like to get a job application. Okay. It's for your son or daughter? <laughs> no, it's for me. To give to your son or daughter? <laughs> no, I want to apply for a job. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> but okay, let me get someone to cover for me here. He steps inside and drags out a shirtless male mannequin, which he places where he was standing. Come on, I guess. <laughs> Richard Dane's office, still shirtless. Dane sits, Dane, sits Dane sits across from Bob, reading his resume. So what is this? Resume? Ah, <laughs> uh, resume. Yes, you'll see that I have previous experience in the retail clothing sales area. Right, at the tent store. But in 1993, man, I was like... Counts on his fingers for a really long time. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> My job application. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid right now we're not hiring you. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Because you're like in your 30s. It's nasty. <laughs> well, um, you can't discriminate based on age. That's illegal. I'm not saying anything else without a lawyer present. <laughs> I'm not a cop. I'm trying to change my life here, and if you don't hire me, I'll have to keep working as a flight attendant. Oh, man, why didn't you say you were gay? Of course, we'll hire you. <laughs> Look, I'm not it, fine. <laughs> but you're going to have to start wearing Abercrombie apparel. Whatever you do, don't get any older. Because it's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> We're interior to the sports chalet. Hank's boss, Mr. Flam, 60, introduces him to his co-worker, Stacy, early 30s, cute. Stacy, meet Hank, the newest member of our chalet family. Although, actually, Hank was part of our chalet family back in high school. That's right, Mr. Flam. You, you said I was the best salesman you ever had. That was before he hired me. Uh-oh. Looks like a little chalet family rivalry, huh? Well, you two play nice now. We're all in the same chalet family. <laughs> Flam crosses off. He still does that, huh? I think it's a tick. <laughs> Listen, we work on commission, and I've been here longest, so I get first dibs on customers. Well, I was here 20 years ago, so... You're not good at anything else. <laughs> well, well, sorry, but don't you also work here? I'm in law school. This place pays well and has good hours. Just then, they notice a middle-aged woman has entered and is perusing exercise equipment. Don't even think about it. Before she can make a move, Hank rushes toward the woman, deliberately knocking over a bin of base baseballs in Stacy's path. He reaches the customer, out of breath. Hi. How can I help you? I'm looking for an... I'm sorry, I should have waited for directions. <laughs> he glances back and smirks at Stacy. I'm looking for an exercise machine, but I can't spend more than $8,000. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We, we've got some fantastic ellipticals over here. I don't here. have any gypsies in my home. <laughs> Excuse me? Here's my $8,000. She holds out a handful of dry leaves. <laughs> Yeah, you're a crazy lady, aren't you? <laughs> I believe in wheat. 
<laughs> he crosses back to Stacy, who's laughing her head off. You knew. Well, she comes in every day. I think she lives in the bushes out front. That was not very. But Stacy has crossed off to help a non-crazy customer. Hi, can I help you find something? Off Hank's annoyed but slightly turned on look, we go to <laughs> Mrs. Fields. <laughs> Kenny watches as his coworker, Lonnie, 21, shy, heavy set, Latino, <laughs> meticulously weighs each blob of cookie batter on a scale before plopping it on a baking sheet. So Lonnie, how long have you been working here? About a year. My dad got me the job so I can learn about responsibility. <laughs> what do you mean he got you the job? He owns the mall. He owns a lot of things. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you kidding? Your dad is Hector Corazon? He's one of the richest guys in the state. Lonnie just keeps weighing his batter. <laughs> okay, what are you doing there? Weighing the batter. Each raw cookie has to be four ounces. <laughs> Alright, well, here, here, here's the thing about that, though. Uh, nobody cares. You, you work in a cookie shop, and the stakes are super low. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just eyeball it. Just do what I'm supposed to do. No, no, no. Listen. Really, I spent my whole life doing what I thought I was supposed to do. Work hard, play by the rules, don't complain. But the one thing I wasn't doing was being happy. There comes a time when you have to stop weighing the batter and just enjoy the cookie. Plus, your dad's a billionaire. <laughs> Lonnie considers for a beat and then grins. He scoops a handful of batter and drops it carelessly onto the cookie sheet. boy, go nuts. Lonnie suddenly grabs the cookie sheet and hurls it across the store, <laughs> where it hits with a clang against the wall and clatters to the floor, sending batter flying. Shoppers turn to look. What the hell was that? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, as I was doing, I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I didn't literally mean to go nuts. I know, it's just you made that speech and I got all worked up. I'll get a boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go do that. Jeez. Lonnie scurries away off Kenny's what's up with this guy look. We go to the Abercrombie and Fitch, where Bob stands on the sales floor in front of an enormous black and white blow-up of a man's hairless nipple. <laughs> Bob wears board shorts, flip-flops, a puka shell necklace, and a t-shirt with a porcupine that reads, Do I make you thorny? <laughs> Dane approaches. Looking good. Not loving the arm hair situation, though. Listen, there's a box of jeans in the stock room. Mm -hmm. Would you take care of this for me? You bet. Interior trash room, minutes later, Bob pulls jeans from a box and tosses them in the dumpster. Dane <laughs> enters. There you are. What the hell are you doing? You said take care of these. I meant to put them on the shelves, not throw them out. They're all faded and torn. Everything we sell is faded and torn. <laughs> Look, I don't know how people dress back when you were a kid in 19... Once again, he counts on his fingers silently. <laughs> Bob waits as he keeps counting and counting. We're interior of the mall movie theater. Bob joins Hank and Kenny outside the theater showing Jurassic World. Whoa, who invited the internet predator? Uh, no, he's a silver-haired surfer. My hair isn't even gray, so that makes no sense, okay? Did you buy the tickets? Buy them? <laughs> I don't think so. He approaches the ticket seller window, nods knowingly at the young ticket taker, Byron, and slides over a bag of cookies. Three, please. What? That's two dozen chocolate chunk, my good man. Baked this morning. Okay, you have to pay with money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ken, what, are you, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, we all work here in the mall, my good man. <laughs> Just take the cookies, give us the tickets. Everybody wins. Mr. Barnhill! He's calling the manager. He's calling the manager. This is not your good man. <laughs> Mr. Barnhill in his 40s appears in the window. Is there a problem here? Kenny looks at him for a beat, then glances at Hank and Bob. Um, 
Run! The three guys take off running like little kids. We're at the mall food court. Hank and Bob eat across from a visibly perturbed Kenny, who glances down at his blood pressure watch. The frowny face is still frowning. Are you wearing a gun? Maybe this was a terrible mistake. <laughs> Coming back here, are we just trying to recapture something that isn't there anymore, or maybe never was? Then look at him for a beat. I am this close to punching you in the face. You can't talk to us like that! You're the one who convinced us to do this! I know. But there's a chance we didn't think this through. I mean, for one thing, we're making less money. Well, I'm actually making more than at the airline. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you say you saved a bunch from Cuba Corp? Yeah, and this isn't about money. It's about your dad's eyes. Remember how the, the light went out in them? Wait, Mr. Gamma's blind? How did I not know? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't blind. So what was going on with his eyes? Don't worry about his eyes. Look, we're, we're just feeling out of place because the small used to be one big family, and it's not anymore. Now it's just a bunch of Zac Efron's and Lena Dunham's who don't know us. <laughs> How do we make it a family again? Hank's eyes narrow as he notices the nearby Party City store. Hey, uh, remember those house parties we used to throw after work? Practically the whole mall would come. We should do that this weekend. Throw the most epic party these kids have ever seen. And why would they come to a party thrown by strangers? What if someone else invited them? We're interior Dane's office, and the guys sit across from Dane. I'm not saying anything without a lawyer present. <laughs> Dane, again, we're not cops. Then why do you want to use my Facebook account? Because you're a popular guy. And if you invite all your friends to our party, they might actually come. Yeah. No. <laughs> I really need this, Dane. I had a child when I was 20 with the first girl that I slept with. I went from being a kid to a dad nothing in between. I need to know what the in-between is like if I'm ever going to get closer to my son. There's a beat as they all take this in. So you're not gay? No! <laughs> you can get late till you're 20. You're focusing on the wrong things. <laughs> okay, on the one hand, your speech is pretty touching. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Dane starts typing, starts typing on his computer. Wait, what about the other Don't remind me of the other hand. <laughs> this party, do you guys have to be there? Yeah, it's our party. Yeah. Fine, so something like this, maybe? On his screen is a Facebook e-bite. The party of the century. Oh, uh, spelled S-E-N-T-I-Y. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Dane, yeah, something like that. End of Act Two. Act Three, we're exterior of Kenny's house, night. Bob, carrying a bag of Tostitos and a can of dip, walks up to Kenny's house. He's shocked to find the party is raging. Interior of Kenny's living room. Bob enters the living room where dozens of teen and 20-something mall workers are mingling and dancing. He finds Kenny and Hank. Whoa! This is like one of those parties I call the police to complain about! Byron, the ticket taker from earlier, dances over. Hey, you're those guys who try to buy tickets with cookies. What are you doing here? Yeah, this is our party. For real? Damn. I didn't realize you guys were players. He dances off. <laughs> Look at this. The party's working. Everyone's getting to know each other. By the time this is over, it'll be like we never left the mall. Kenny notices a guy placing a drink on his Crystal Cube Award, which sits on the mantle. Hey, that's not a coaster. Yo, Bob. Bob looks over to see Dane sitting on the couch with a few friends playing Grand Theft Auto. Bob joins them on the couch. 
You're up. Oh, fine. What is this? <laughs> GTA 5. But we made it a drinking game. Every time you get shot, you gotta take a shot. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't really play video games. Oh, you get a shot? Dave hands Bob a shot glass full of tequila. Bob reluctantly drinks it. Jack that car. Push the triangle. Now press the right trigger. Ooh, hey, look, I'm driving. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Put the shot in your car. Dane puts another shot glass to Bob's mouth. <laughs> Bob takes it. Uh-oh, there's a cop behind me. Should I pull over? No, you don't pull over. Shoot his engine until his car explodes. Dane shows him how to do it. Bob's oh. getting into this. Oh, this is antisocial. <laughs> cool, right? Oh, I think I got shot again. He takes another drink. It's like a world without rules. It's so liberating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit that stripper with your crowbar. Okay, okay. <laughs> In the kitchen, Hank enters to find Stacy. Hey, good party. Hope this isn't costing you too many handfuls of leaves. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be all right. Autumn's coming. I guess I should have warned you about the old lady from Titanic. No worries. I would have done that the same to you. And I will. First chance I get. That's fair. She notices Hank's Flaming Lips t-shirt. You get that at the Clouds Taste Metallic Tour? Yeah. Jacob's Pavilion, 1994. Mr. Flam let me off early to get to the show. Hey, I'm curious. Why are you working at the mall again? Well, I, I was a point guard at OSU. Pistons were scouting me till I fractured my ankle. Thought about becoming a cop, but you need two good ankles for that. Ended up working as a prison guard. Then one day I realized that you I was... You were a prison guard? Yep. They share a smile. She's impressed by his candor. It's a nice moment until Hank's old habits kick in. Hey, um, it's pretty loud here. You, you want to find some place to talk? Stacy looks disappointed. Seriously? We like the same band, so you figure I'm ready to throw down? Huh? What? Who said anything about throwing down? I just wanted to talk. Maybe, you know, make out a little? I'm too old for the let's find some place to talk, Rob. All right, forget it then. Enjoy my party. His ego bruised, Hank turns to go, but stops when he sees Jenny, 22 and hot. Hey, I'm Hank. Jenny. Yeah, I'm getting a real smart vibe from her. <laughs> like, wise beyond her years kind of thing. Thanks. Hey, hey you want to find some place we can talk? <gasps> oh my god, I love talking. <laughs> they head out of the kitchen together. What? She reads his shirt. Why would someone's lips be flaming? That shirt's strange. <laughs> Hank looks back to see Stacy talking to some friends. He looks a little melancholy as he goes. <laughs> For interior of the living room, Kenny sees Lonnie enter looking out of place. Lonnie, you made it. Hey, Kenny. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. <laughs> Have fun. Tear it up. Yeah, tear it up. Okay. Lonnie, <laughs> Lonnie grabs a throw pillow and tears it open. Like feathers flying. Several party guests... Hey, hey, hey. I'm so sorry. Yeah. As I was moving your pillow, I was thinking, this is a mistake. Yeah. No kidding, man. You gotta stop taking things so literally. I'll fix this. Where's your sewing machine? I, I, no, I don't have a sewing machine. Oh. $200 cover the pillow? Uh, yeah, it should. <laughs> Lonnie hands him the cash. Kenny? Kenny turns to see his former boss, Jack Anderson. Jack? What are you doing here? I tried calling, but you didn't answer. And this couldn't wait. Kenny looks intrigued. Angle and Bob still playing the video game and pretty drunk by now. Dane, <laughs> Dane makes out with an insanely hot girl nearby. On the TV, we see Bob's characters trying on different sunglasses in the clothing store. <laughs> Just then, Bob notices his son Jake drinking from a red cup and talking to a few other teens by the bar area. 
Is that my son? Found him on Facebook and invited him. He said you want to get closer. I didn't mean here. Bob stands up and wobbles a bit, then marches over to Jake. During the following, he tries very hard to act sober. Hello, Jake. <laughs> Dad, what are, you, what are you doing here? This is my party. It is a party for grown men and children. I'm not, <laughs> not for small boys and children. <laughs> hey, wait, wait. None of that made any sense. What, what do you mean it's your party? And why are you dressed like Channing Tatum? I quit my job and I'm working at Fabricombe. Itch. Huh? <laughs> it's not important right now. You're drinking underage alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> underage drinking is a gateway drink to other drinks. Dad, this is Sprite. No, oh, if it's Sprite, then you won't mind if I take a sip. Bob takes a sip from Jake's cup. This is Sprite. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> Do you want to go rob a jewelry store with me? <laughs> Off Jake's confusion, we go to the living room. Bob and Jake are on the couch, taking turns playing the video game, minus the drinking part. Jake seems to be having a good time. Quick, quick, quick. Shoot the federal agent! I got him! <laughs> I can't believe this is happening! Oh, oh no, honey, it's not really happening, it's a game. No, 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 I know, I mean, I can't believe, um... Oh no, you know, Jacob, I was really young when your mom and I had you, and I had to grow up pretty fast, and I kind of lost touch with what the kids like to do. So I guess what I'm saying is... I need to find a place to throw up. <laughs> he gets up, kisses Jake on the head, and then stumbles off. We go to Kenny's home office night. Kenny stands opposite Anderton. So, uh, what couldn't wait? I want you to start back at Cubicorp on Monday. Just since you left, orders are down 5%. You're the best salesman we have, and I'm not letting you get away. You fired me, Jack. And now I'm unfiring you. I was able to convince corporate to give you a second chance. Really? Look, creating a workplace where women are free from sexual attacks is a priority for us. But an even bigger priority is sales. <laughs> Kenny looks uncertain. There's a beat as he considers the offer. Are you ready to get back into the cubicle you were born to be in? Just then, a woozy Bob stumbles in the door with Hank holding him steady. Oh, this isn't downstairs. That's right, Bob. You've got to go downstairs to get downstairs. Come on, Kenny. <laughs> a girl just showed up with an iguana on her shoulder. Bob and Hank exit. Anderson shakes his head. Yikes. Those guys are way too old to be having that much fun. Kenny glances over at a framed photo of himself at age 16 with his arm around his father. There's something, something eerily lifeless about his dad's eyes. You know what, Jack? I appreciate the offer, but I'm going to pass. There's a girl with an iguana on her shoulder downstairs that I really need to party with. Anderson looks surprised. Wow. Really? I may not understand your decision, but I don't respect it. <laughs> <laughs> We're interior Kenny's upstairs landing. As Kenny leads Anderton out, he notices Bob sitting unsteadily at the top of the stairs with his head between his legs. Kenny carefully steps around him. Watch out for the... But it's too late. Anderton stumbles over Bob's feet and starts to fall. Kenny reaches up and catches him. Angle on Anderton's face. Rather than grateful, Anderton looks deeply disturbed. We pull back to see that once again, Kenny's hand has ended up clutching a crotch. <laughs> Interior Kenny's living room. Kenny and a wobbly Bob find Hank. Hey, Kenny, uh, who was that guy you were talking to? That, uh, my old boss. He asked me to come back to Cubicorp. Hank and Bob exchange a resigned look as they take this in. Oh. Congratulations, Kenny. Yeah, man. Uh, we're happy for you. 
dummies. I turned it down. Thrilled, Hank and Bob grab Kenny in a bear hug. Kenny picks up the Crystal Cube Award. Is this what I want? Does this answer your question? He lifts the cube over his head and throws it to the floor with a clunk. The cube is completely undamaged. I'm not sure. <laughs> Kenny picks up the cube and throws it down again. Okay, that might have made a dent in the floor. Yeah. Kenny examines the still unharmed cube. It's quick cuts as Kenny, Hank, and Bob try unsuccessfully to destroy the cube with their feet, a hammer, an electric carving knife, the microwave, etc. Finally, they all stare at the cube. There's not a scratch on it. You should give an award to whoever made this award. <laughs> I mean, you guys know what I was going for, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Symbolic gesture. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just then, straight out of Compton comes on the stereo. <laughs> Listen up, guys. Yeah. The three guys break into a dance a la Rosie Perez and do the right thing. <laughs> the crowd forms a circle and cheers them on, including Stacy, who gives Hank a semi-sarcastic thumbs up. The party has done its job. The group has embraced our guys as one of their own. Let's party all night! <laughs> In the living room, 30 minutes later, the three guys sit on the sofa looking exhausted. <laughs> Are these guys going to party all night? It's, it's, it's 11.30. Maybe we should call the cops. Yeah, well, well it's our party. Should we ask them to leave? Yeah, well, we can't do that. They, they think we're players. I know. We could sneak out. They exchange a look and head for the front door. At the Beachwood Place Mall roof, a short time later, as they did 20 years ago, the three friends sit around the campfire. I think my coworker's a lunatic. Yeah, I think I have a crush on mine. I think I'm dying. <laughs> Kenny hears a beep from his blood pressure monitor. He glances down at it just in time to see the frowny face change to a neutral face. <laughs> not smiling, but not frowning. <laughs> it's a start. He pulls the crystal cube out of his jacket pocket. He gives the guys a sly smile, then tosses the award off the roof of the mall. It falls four stories to the parking lot below, where we hear glass shattering. You finally broke it! Nope, that was your windshield. <laughs> we fade out, end of show. That's our episode for this time. Uh, thank you to Ethan Walter uh, for the help with the sound, to Noah Findling for all of his help with everything else, Ted Leo for our theme song. Uh, please, if you can, go to iTunes, leave us a review. That really helps. Uh, I know the most common criticism in those reviews is the sound quality of the table reads. We're working on it. Uh, we've got some really good sounding ones coming up. Um, some of these older episodes with the iffy sound, uh, they're almost all up there. Um, so that's getting better. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Pilots Pod, on Facebook at Dead Pilots Society. It really is a good way to keep informed of upcoming live shows and other events. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back uh, in a few weeks with, I believe, My Cousin Thor by Ira Ungerleiter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>